Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. I'm Karen Sussman Horgan. I am co-founder and CEO of Val Health. We are the leading healthcare behavioral economics consulting firm. And they can change the radio button or they can change the checkbox. But if you make that right choice, you find that the majority of people are going to stick with that default. I would encourage you to stand up for what you believe in. I would encourage you to respectfully challenge people. And I would encourage you to live your own dream and take your own path and not be afraid to be shut down because we all face setbacks part of the time, but you look past it. And so just keep pushing through and make things happen. Today's episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Inc., where digital healthcare is their niche. Whether you're looking to implement remote patient monitoring in-house, start a chronic or principal care management program, or even leverage telehealth to optimize the delivery of care and outcomes for your patients and team, Chirpy Bird Inc. can help. They offer results-based solutions for practices and health systems to support docs and patients during this uncertain time. You can find them and all of their services online at chirpybirdinc.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where we're dedicated to amplifying the career journey, accomplishments, and lessons learned of women everywhere. I'm your host, Joy Rios. And I'm your other host, Robin Roberts. During the day, together we run a health IT consultancy known as Chirpy Bird Inc., where we get to geek out on all things healthcare, technology, and policy. But along the way, Joy noticed that so many women were running organizations, but too few were leading or being recognized. So we decided to change that. Together, we're learning about the puzzle that is healthcare and sharing what we find with you, our listeners. You can expect us to be talking with some pretty badass women. We will even be exploring how the pandemic is impacting many of their professional lives this season. We've also formed a private community of both guests and listeners over on Slack to help make connections, offer support to one another, and share the resources we come across. If you want to join us, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com forward slash community. This week's shout outs go to Laura, Jonna, Sue, Stephanie, Alana, Marissa, and Christine. And a high five to Randy for turning us on to a virtual event put on by Harvard Business School discussing why femtech is ripe for innovation and investment. We learned about the intersection of venture capital and women's health. So thanks for that, Randy. High five. All right, enough already. There are too many awesome women to talk with. Let's get started. 
Today, we're sharing our conversation with Karen Horgan, the co-founder and CEO of Val Health, which is a leading health-related behavioral economics consulting firm. We talked about what it takes to change behavior on a large scale and how to overcome some of healthcare's biggest challenges. And we learned so much from Karen and think you will too. So let's get started. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really like to, I mean, we love talking about healthcare. We love talking about healthcare IT and the intersection of healthcare and technology. But we have found throughout our career that this industry in particular is super, super complicated and complex. We liken it to like a 5,000 piece puzzle and none of us can really be the expert in everything. And so this is really our opportunity to share our expertise. And so we'd really like to know a little bit more about your piece of the puzzle and how you came at it. So would you mind taking a minute, a minute to introduce yourself and sort of tell us about your professional journey and, and what you get up to? Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm Karen Sussman Horgan. I am co-founder and CEO of Val Health. We are uh, the leading healthcare behavioral economics consulting firm. And I actually stumbled into this position in a roundabout way. I started my career in strategy consulting where I learned the ins and outs of research and communications and just core business. And after graduating from business school, that's when the technology bug hit me. This was at the time of the internet bubble, not to date myself, but you know, that 1999 time frame. And I was really interested in how technology can be used for change and to create efficiency and to drive results. And I went to a couple of startups where I was product marketing manager, product manager, moved my way up the organization. And eventually, I had the entrepreneurial book. And so I brought together my experience of knowing how to do consulting with how technology can be efficient. And together with my co-founders, we created Val Health. My co-founders are academics at Penn Medicine and the Wharton School. And we have a behavioral economics consulting firm which acknowledges that people are irrational. We have biases to the present. We have aversion to loss and regret. We overweight probabilities, which is why we play the lottery. There are all these irrational ways that people behave. And what we do is we harness this irrationality and we work across the healthcare ecosystem to drive enrollment and engagement. And it's really fascinating the results that can happen when you don't assume people are going to be perfectly rational. So this sounds very like... Freakonomics like to me. And so what you're exactly. saying is that humans are irrational. I think anyone listening, whether you're in healthcare or not, can agree to this. Give us some examples of what you do and how that manifests into to work because I'm super intrigued. Yes. So how long is this podcast? <laughs> so if you think about the core, I'm going to give a somewhat healthcare but not healthcare related example just to ground the listeners. When calorie labeling was introduced at a McDonald's, for example, People purchased the same number of calories before and after. Our team was in a Subway sandwich shop, changed the order in which items were listed. Part of the day, low-calorie items were listed. Part of the day, high-calorie items were listed first. And when low-calorie items were listed first, people purchased 25% fewer calories. But think about that. Facts of the information didn't drive change. But changing the order did because we're lazy. We just pick one, two, or three. And so we use this across the healthcare system. With digital health, for example, we, we think about engagement and enrollment. And so engagement is how do you get people to, sorry, enrollment is how do you get people to start and join a program? And we've successfully, for example, worked with a leading diabetes management company 
And we doubled the rate at which people signed up for the program by framing the value propositions in a pain that they have in the present and bringing in social proof and exclusivity. And so using the words nudge the behavior change. We've also worked with Sutter Health in their digital health group to get patients to schedule appointments online. And there we worked on how do you modify the journey? So take the wireframes and the user interface and enhance that so that way the right path is the easy path. And you couple that with exclusivity framing and we got 4.9 times as many people to use the portal to schedule appointments online. And so understanding the journey that people go through and the hurdles that they might experience allows us to bring our toolkit in within technology to drive that change. So something that comes up for me is the idea that I learned in grad school, the whole paradox of choice, that is kind of what you're saying where you're talking about, oh, they're going to choose from the the first three choices that they have is better than offering somebody a hundred choices because then they just kind of get stumped. Or I've also heard that when you have like a child and you're like, they want to pick their outfit for the day, you really say, do you want to wear this one or do you want to wear that one? Not what do you want to wear in your closet? Is there any lessons learned along that line of thinking that you can share with us? Just like, because especially now considering the climate and considering being able to change somebody's behavior or change what their thought process is or, you know, what they decide to share on Facebook, for example. Like, I can't imagine the amount of information and intel that you've experienced along your journey. It's a great point. And we call that concept choice overload. Initial study not done by us, so can't take credit for that. But within a grocery store, if you want people to do chase samples. This was obviously pre-COVID when you could do that. And if you had 24 jams out to try, you had like 60% of people stopped to taste. And when you had fewer jams out to try, fewer people stopped to taste. But what happened is people didn't actually buy when there were too many jams out. So when there was 24 jams out, 5% of people purchased. When there was only six jams out, 75% of people purchased. Because it's this concept of choice overload. I'm going to anticipate the regret that I wanted the strawberry rhubarb, but I bought the pineapple raspberry. You can just imagine what's going on in people's heads. And we've done this extensively in digital health. Uh, when we oftentimes are work with whether it's a payer building their portal or an actual vendor, digital health company, they by default want to be all things to all people. And so like once you log in, that home screen has sometimes 18 or 22 paths forward and, and plans of action. And we come down to know you need to have three. You can have a double click and they can go find more if they want, but we've seen successful increases in engagement when you limit the choice because people feel like I'm going to take it a step forward. And it's also bringing in the concept of default, that you default them into the one that you think is going to be best for them. And they can change the radio button or they can change the checkbox. But if you make that right choice, you find that the majority of people are going to stick with that default. So we were working uh, with a benefits consultant to get members to contribute to a health savings account. In one scenario, we set the default to $100 and you had 98% of people stick to that default. In another scenario, we, st- we set the default at 125 and you had like 90 something percent of people stick with that. So we bring up that if you set these defaults right and appropriate, you can nudge people down that path and help them down the journey. You know, as I think about the rise of digital health and a lot of what Joy and I do, you know, we're policy nerds and we help translate and distill those complexities into how-to steps for other, whether it's individual medical practices, health systems, or other companies. As I think about the rise of 
remote patient monitoring, chronic care management, principal care management. There are so many great technologies out there. And just beyond simplifying the UI or the UX of a website, a lot of people can even, even once they get people, it's how do you retain them? How do we change patient behavior? What are some of those levers other than just limiting choice that you guys are seeing have an impact on the outcomes for patients with some of these conditions that require that kind of touch point? That is a great question because oftentimes I lead off talking to people saying, you know, technology alone isn't going to solve our problem. Someone who we know that 40% of conditions are brought on by lifestyle. So just handing someone a Fitbit who is currently sedentary, obese, multiple chronic condition, that person isn't suddenly going to get up and start walking 10,000 steps. And so there are different ways that you can bring in uh, remote monitoring is really key because if those devices can passively track information and then send signals to people at the right time, such as reminders that if you're working in a tobacco cessation program and you know that Friday nights at eight, when someone in an old life would be at a bar with a friend and that's when they have the urge to have a cigarette, you can ping them a reminder and people can set pre-commitments. You can use those passive devices to track information for the physicians to actually know what patients are using and intervene at the right time. Or with managing, uh, helping people age in place. Now, as my parents get older, if I have to call my mom every day and say, mom, did you take your pill? One, it becomes annoying and nudging. Two, as she starts to you know, forget things, she won't remember. But if instead of pill bottle proactively alerts me if a certain time comes and she hasn't taken her pill, then I know when to intervene. So how do you use technology to change the experiences and not just fit into what we're currently doing. Because if you think about what we do in retail or in the financial industry, it's fundamentally changed. We used to go to a teller, then we went to an ATM, and now I have an app on my phone if I need to deposit a check or better yet, just transfer money without that. And so technology can really be used to change healthcare and not just build upon what we've been doing. I mean, I love that. I mean, from a non one I'm thinking about the defaults and not necessarily in a healthcare perspective, but I was like, you see people, restaurants, for example, that the defaults are, would you like to give a 20% tip or an 18% tip <laughs> and starting exactly. from there? And like, okay, that changes somebody's behavior. I'm like, oh, I'm going to start with offering more. And then I don't know how this relates exactly, but I feel like when trying to change somebody's behavior for me, it wasn't technology, but to get me to get my steps up, like getting a dog was really helpful for me. And all of a sudden, like, I don't know if there's a way that's obviously not technology, but I'm like, I compare my Fitbit and I'm looking at how many steps I've, t- I've taken versus you know, from after I had a dog versus before having a dog. And it's like night and day. And <laughs> I'm laughing because we had one client that we were working with in the senior population and we were trying to figure out how to get exercise. And two of us in the room were like, send them all dogs. And they looked at us like we were crazy. We we're like, no, we're serious. Yeah, I don't think that's crazy. So, like it, it really no. does make a difference. So you brought up on a couple um, behavioral economic principles there. One is the concept of anchoring. And that is where we have our mindset of where we start from. And so if you have that sedentary person who you want to start exercising and you anchor them on 10,000, they're just going to shut down because that number is way too high. But when you find, if you start at 5,000 for that person, that is the right way. And then you create these quick wins and gradual gains. And you, it's the concept of boiling the frog. You start increasing it and suddenly they will be at 10,000 steps. And so this technology can be used at the personalized level 
because you can use it to figure out who do you need to close gaps in care? Who actually do you need to spend the money on for remote monitoring? And who do you not need to? And so you've got the data in the background that gives you the information and the technology in the front end to help bring everything to life. And you know, as we continue down this, um, hopefully not too long in this pandemic state, but we will be fundamentally changed in healthcare and coming out the other side in terms of how do you use the telemonitoring and remote monitoring because people are going to be conditioned to talking on the phone and using video and not necessarily having to go in person for everything. Hey there, sorry to interrupt. If you like the vibe of this podcast, you're going to love our private Slack community. It's super supportive, ladies-only pod where we offer real talk, real advice, and genuine engagement to our members to help them stay inspired and level up. To join, just go to hitlikeagirlpod.com forward slash community. All right, now let's get back to the show. So I think I have two questions and you bring up a good one, not going in person, you know, the pandemic, whether it's for health reasons or just trepidation or, you know, the ever-changing outbreak numbers, people aren't going to go out. What thoughts do you have or what insight maybe do you have already about how that will impact patient behavior? And then my next question is, does this work for physicians too? And what is that like? So the first one on the patient side, it, it has fundamentally changed behavior. We work a lot with payers who obviously see the claims or lack of claims. And one area that we're doing a lot of work in now is preventative screening. Because there's an incredible concern out there that patients aren't going in. Well, it's fact. Patients are not going in for colonoscopies. They're not going in for mammograms right now because they're pushing those off. Because one, they never wanted to do in the first place, and now they have a pretty good excuse not to. And so there's a concern that in a year or two or three, we're going to see a lot more advanced stages of cancer because of preventative screening. And so there are new technologies that are out there that we're working with. On You can send for colonoscopies and other types of preventative screenings. There are alternatives that you can send test kits to the home and people can return those back. And they're not quite as good as in person, but if they do show up uh, some possible positive, then, then it's someone's starting off that they're going to actually go in for their test. So that's using new forms of technology to get people to preventive screenings. And I actually think that's going to stay in the future because they're lower cost in the system, they're more convenient, and people are going to be like, oh, I don't want to go for that colonoscopy when I can do something at home. And then providers, we use, there's a lot of work we do in behavioral economics with providers. It's not very different to consumers. Providers, obviously, are stubborn. They think they know everything. But if you can change their journey, change the defaults in the system, they're very competitive, so you use particular kinds of leaderboards on what others are doing to drive that change. And it was telehealth. Prior to COVID, we had been doing a lot of work on getting providers to adopt telehealth, and they weren't so enthusiastic. They don't want someone else controlling their schedule. This is just how they always practice medicine. But they had to jump in cold. I personally, I don't have any facts for this, but I don't think providers are going to be fully supportive of telehealth going forward. I think it. The reimbursements would have to hold, but there's something to them about their practice. They have an office. This is what they do. And if suddenly it becomes all video, especially for uh, the people that have been practicing a while, I don't think it's going to hold that much. One thing that we definitely see, and I'm not so sure about the telehealth side of things, but we deal with changing behavior on quality metrics and looking at what measures of quality providers are tracking. And when we see 
clinicians like having to compete among their peers. And if they know if Dr. Sally has a 68%, but Dr. Jennifer has 88%, like Dr. Sally is going to work a little bit hard, like a lot harder to meet, to meet those goals. And it's really interesting, especially, and that's not necessarily like coming from the results within the EHR of like what they see day to day in their daily usage, but it's more along the lines of communicating among the whole team and like coming, you know, bringing the group together and saying, okay, here are our goals. Here's how we're performing and here's where we need to be making improvements. But it, it absolutely 100% helps when they can get some transparency into how each other are performing. And they literally are like start internal competitions. Oh, I want to do better on that measure. And it's just funny to see from our perspective, which is often, you know, not fly on the wall, but kind of just to see what actually works in trying to change their behavior over time. And we get to work with clients for year over year. And so that has been one of the things that has been the most effective. It's, it's kind of wild. It is really wild. And, and that becomes physicians all want to be you know, above average. No one wants to be below average. And what we found though, in some physician situations, if they are like the 30, we'll say it's come at the 33rd percentile it can be completely demotivating. And so you need to compare them, like give them a goal to get up to the 40th percentile this year. Because if it's, you've got to get from 33 to 70, they're like, oh, there's no way. I'm just going to shut down. And so it's creating the quick wins and the progress is really important to motivate them. But you're totally right that they are competitive. Yeah, no doubt that um, the uh, intrinsic and extrinsic motivation of others, doctors included, is uh, is unique. But they are, they are definitely driven to be competitive. And I like what you pointed out about that, uh, the incremental wins feeling a lot more doable Mm -hmm. than versus those big strides. I got to imagine, Karen, that you have so much unique insight in behavioral economics. I'm really interested to know your answer to our next question, which is if you could change anything in healthcare or health IT, money's no object, time, people uh, getting in your way, there are no obstacles. What would you change? I would start over. (laughs) <laughs> there's two things. One, I would change our reimbursement structure, but I'm not going to go there in this conversation, but I would start over from technology. What we find when we go to clients and we say, can you do that? And you look at their system and it's almost like they had a system that was introduced in I don't know, the 1960s or 70s. And every five years, there's a new layer put on top and a new layer put on top and a new layer put on top. And it's so collegiate. And it's not anything that fits with what we have in the rest of our life today. Like think about the iPhone. Think about how we're all able to function from home during COVID and all that technology. None of that's in healthcare. It all becomes almost to create burden as opposed to solve problems. I, I totally agree. That's definitely a conversation we that has shown up for us lately, which is sort of the unintended consequences, decisions that were made a whole heck of a long time ago. And like, okay, well, we can't necessarily wipe the slate clean and start fresh, although sometimes it feels like maybe that. Yeah, if you look at the new digital health companies that are emerging, they can operate just like a, an app on your phone, like Instagram or, or any of that. But if you're working through the payers or the hospital system, our current system, what we're working with, yeah, the legacy stuff. Yeah. So, 
I totally agree with that. And you're not the first person to look backwards instead of forward. So it's... I'm sorry, I'm sorry you didn't have a more innovative answer then. No, actually, we appreciate it. It's because I think that that's important. It's not always like, okay, well, what would you do in the future? It's just like, shoot, if I could do anything, I'd snap my fingers and change the past. So given where you are and what you know and the perspective that you hold with your piece of the healthcare and health IT puzzle... What have you learned along your professional career that you think would be helpful for other women to know, whether they want to be in a position like yours, if it's specific to to the role that you play, or just generic career advice? What would you share? I think that's a great question because one part of uh, my job I I really like the most is is mentoring people, women especially, but men too, I'm not going to exclude them. And I would encourage you to stand up for what you believe in. I would encourage you to respectfully challenge people. And I would encourage you to live your own dream and take your own path and not be afraid to be shut down because we all face setbacks part of the time, but you look past it. And so just keep pushing through and make things happen. I like the way you say that. And I think the tenacity to keep going is sometimes, you know, one of the biggest challenges. It's easy to get in your own way or have a mental block or believe you can't do something or that there's a limitation there. And I think you're right to keep pushing or if you're not at the right place, or you're not at the right organization, to do that. And I think it's always important to respectfully challenge at times, especially for what you believe in, because I also think that becomes a good barometer of, you know, your current situation or those around you. And I'll add to that. I think it's important, like you said, to kind of carve your own path and not be judging by what you see out there. Like, okay, you may have models and people that you respect and you want to perhaps follow in their footsteps, but everybody's journey is unique and their own and to not be afraid to sort of own it a little bit. And like, if yours is unique, like go with it. Don't be afraid to have that, the uniqueness. So I think that's right on to be unique. There is, there is no one right path for career. There's a lot of situations that will lead people down different roads. Absolutely. Well, Karen, thank you for sharing with us your journey today. If people want to follow you, work with you or your company, what would be the best way to get in touch with you or your organization? Happy for anyone to reach out and talk. As I said already, I I enjoy mentoring people. I can be reached at khorgan at valhealth.com. That's K-H-O-R-G-A-N at V-A-L-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. You can also sign up with two monthly insights from my organization on behavioral economics and healthcare trends. Recently, one of my co-founders had a TED Med talk that we featured in our monthly insight. So on our website, valhealth.com, you can sign up for that. And please follow me on LinkedIn. We probably push out a lot of uh, hopefully relevant information that uh, people may enjoy. Awesome. I'm going to do all of those things and sign up right now for that newsletter. So thank you. Thank you for all of that. And uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. So thanks, Karen. Thank you. This was wonderful. And thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or this guest, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you soon. Thank you to Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting. You can find out more about them at www.chirpybirdinc.com.